Actually, the thing that helped me most about the sunk cost fallacy was that you have to consider the cost of not making a change as well. If that cost outweighs your sunk cost, then you should make a change. Hello and welcome to the Scrimba podcast. On this weekly show, I interview recently hired junior developers as well as senior developers and hiring managers to help you learn to code and get your first job in tech by learning from both sides. Today, I'm joined by Shona Chan, a Cambridge-educated anesthesiologist who decided to leave 10 years of medicine behind. She just got her first professional developer job at a health tech startup after learning to code on Scrimba. This is the story about how she did it while also raising two kids. Now, just like any episode of the Scrimba podcast, of which there are over 100, this is an inspiring story with great first-hand proven advice. I know if you listen to the end, you will get a few ideas you can incorporate into your study plan or job hunting strategy. But if I was to call out one thing that is special about this episode, it's Shona's ability to hear and listen to her purpose and use that intrinsic motivation to do really hard things like learn to code or stop being a doctor. On that note, I really appreciate how Shona describes her career change as a lateral move, not a fresh start. Honestly, I felt like coding was totally different from being a doctor, but she strongly feels like her experience learning things quickly, communicating, following processes, all those kind of things come with her. However, it must still have been a really hard decision to leave doctoring behind because it's kind of an identity, a prestigious job actually, and clearly it's something that takes an enormous amount of time and effort. I'm just thinking if Shona can make that kind of change, maybe she can also teach us how to make hard shifts that we kind of know are the right thing to do in our guts and our hearts, but are harder to execute for various practical reasons. I'm really looking forward to bringing you this episode. I am your host, Alex Booker, and you are listening to the Scrimba podcast. Let's get into it. It's definitely not something that I saw myself doing ever, really. My only brush with coding was as a teenager playing this game called Neopets Online. I think a few other guests have mentioned it before on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it gives away that I'm of like a certain vintage. But uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, I loved that game and my friend and I would play it a lot. And we had, we didn't really care about the pets, but we had like a shop. And for me, it was all about making my shop look nice. And you could customize it a bit with HTML. So I learned really basic stuff like, you know, how to insert an image. And my favorite thing was like making text scroll across the screen. Oh, like the marquee kind of tag, that sort of thing. Oh yeah. Deprecated now because I tried it the other day, but no, back then that was my favorite thing to use. Uh, but that was about it. And then I didn't touch code again till, I mean, I'm in my thirties now. So uh, after a long time. And I kind of stumbled into it because of work, really. I came across a problem that I wanted to solve. I was working as a doctor at the time and um, working in the children's hospital as an anesthetist. And a lot of the job involves calculating drug doses for children who can be, you know, anything from like a few kilograms to almost adult sized. And everything is based on weight and age, pretty much in terms of like the drug calculations. 
at the time we were kind of doing it manually, either, you know, in our heads or maybe with a calculator, but it was very labor intensive and quite error prone as well. Cause that's a number you definitely want to get right. I feel like exactly. And the margin for error is really small. And obviously the consequences are big. I was looking for a solution for that to automate that kind of, you know, a thing that you could just put in the, the weight and the age and it would spit out all the doses of common drugs that we would use. And also another half of that was to make it easier to access like guidelines, the hospital's guidelines in terms of like protocols and how to treat certain diseases or just a lot of flow charts that would be difficult to access. They would previously have been maybe on the intranet, which is not always easy to get to because you might not always be near a hospital computer or they'd be emailed around in the form of like a big email attachment. So it wasn't a great way of organizing things, I felt. So I decided to learn to code to try and build an app. And honestly, I didn't really think I would be able to do it because I knew nothing at that point. But I felt it was a good way of focusing my learning. I think I was interested to learn anyway. And this seemed like a good opportunity to motivate myself to do so. So that's kind of how I stumbled into it. And yeah, it was great learning on my own just from YouTube and building the app and then actually getting to use it was really great. Instead of learning to code with the intention of getting a job necessarily or making a career change, you were really specifically trying to solve a problem that you had. I think the website is called No Matter How Small. I'm actually looking at it right now. And uh, yeah, it looks amazing, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, I, I tried really hard to make it responsive because I knew that it would be most useful on mobile. You're obviously not near a computer all the time, you know, when you're in theater and trying to make up the drugs for cases and things like that. It'd be much more convenient having it on the phone. So yeah, that was kind of how I stumbled into coding, I guess. I want to talk a little bit about your experience as a doctor, because that's not only fascinating, but the transition from doctor to developer is also very interesting. How did you kind of get into medicine and how did you approach your studies and things? Like what school did you go to and how long did it take to learn to become a doctor? I decided that I wanted to do medicine, I guess at 17 when everyone who wants to go to university, you know, starts thinking about these things. And my decision was based on liking science and enjoying like working with people. To be honest, I think as a 17 year old, I didn't have much insight into what it actually meant to be a doctor because why would you? It's very difficult to know what's on the other end. But from what I understood, you know, it would obviously require an interest in science and you would have to work with patients and other, you know, healthcare professionals. So I guess I went into it because of that. Um, and then it was a long process becoming a doctor. So it's six years of medical school in my case, because the university I went to, so I went to Cambridge and um, you have to do an extra year in your third year. It's just like an extra intercalated year. And at the end of six years, then you do two years of in, like house officership. And then after that, you can go into specialty training. So I went into anesthetic training and then it's about seven years after that uh, until you become a consultant. But I've had two kids, so I'm actually still sort of 18 months away from becoming a consultant. That's where I am in terms of my medical career 
or where I was before I went into coding. That's amazing. So you went to school in the UK. Are you from the UK originally? No, I grew up in Singapore. So I actually spent the first 18 years of my life in Singapore. I moved to the UK for university and then that's where I met my husband. And so I stayed on after that. So yeah, I've been all around the UK. The decision to apply to the UK was heavily influenced by my dad. So he um, spent quite a bit of time in the UK, you know, before he was 30, um, just in university. And then he worked here for a bit as well. And uh, he loved his time in the UK. And so when it came to the time to apply to university, he strongly encouraged me to consider the UK. I probably would have stayed in Singapore if not for his encouragement to go abroad and see something new. And I'm really glad that he encouraged me to do that. Yeah, absolutely. If I understand well, administering anesthesia is a very rewarding speciality in terms of compensation and things. Like I kind of heard that that's one of the most well-paid doctors you can be. Is that true? And like, was the compensation part of the reason that you pursued it? Or was it more just that you found it fascinating and it's what you wanted to do? It wasn't part of the reason I chose it because um, it's, it's not true in the UK. It doesn't matter what specialty you're in in the UK. All the consultants get paid the same. Pretty much in the US, I think it's very different, I think, anesthesiologists, as they're called in, in America, definitely are maybe one of the higher earning specialties. But in the UK, it's kind of much more even across the specialties. I picked it because it's a nice blend of both medicine and surgery. And it's quite an interesting specialty because you learn a lot about physiology, you know, how the body works and pharmacology, how drugs work. And I guess you're there for patients at a very anxious time in their lives, you know, having surgery is not, oh, yeah, scary. It's not a small thing, is it? Yeah. And it's nice to be able to be the one to reassure them that you're going to take good care of them when they're asleep and help alleviate that anxiety. That's really nice part of it. You're like, don't worry, I coded an app in JavaScript that's going to tell me exactly how much to use. <laughs> What's that? Am I a professional developer? No, no, I learned on YouTube, but it's okay. Go to sleep now. Yeah, exactly. Yes, that's exactly what I tell them. <laughs> um, no, but it's, it's, it has been a really rewarding specialty. Coming up, the perfect music for a C-section. I have a dedicated cesarean section playlist. And the power of intrinsic motivation. Enjoying my job is something that I really, really want. But first, let's take a look at socials. Hello, I'm Jan the producer, and in every episode, I highlight some of your social media posts about the podcast, as well as your reviews from various podcasting platforms. Vinicius Dalacqua tweeted, I've discovered the Scrimba podcast last year, and since then, I can't stop recommending it to anyone interested in starting their career as a software engineer. It's great to see how different people face the same struggles differently. Thank you. On LinkedIn, Ashley Berry posted, Scrimba, your podcast on the 5th of September was a great summary about LinkedIn features and tips that I plan on implementing, such as including projects in the experience section. Glad to be of service. Hope it helps. And on Apple Podcasts, Nathan from Switzerland left us a review two months ago that says, Fantastic resource. I just finished a coding bootcamp to transition from marketing to web development. And this podcast is an awesome source of information to continue my transition. Well done. Thank you, Nathan. And keep us posted about your progress. You can always tweet at us and join the community. And if you would like to get a shout out on the show, the only thing you need to do is to post about us on social media or 
leave us a rating or a review in your podcast app of choice. Word of mouth is the best way to support a podcast that you like. So if you're enjoying our show, share it with someone. I mean, you can also do it offline. But if you do it online and if your post contains the words Scrimba and podcast, we will find it and we might read it on the show. And now we're back to the interview with Shona. Well, this is it. I mean, it sounds like you were well on your way uh, after doing so much school and training. I mean, you were very, very, very nearly at the end and working as a doctor already. And you've described very eloquently, I think, some of your motivation behind doing it. And yet here we are because you decided to make a total pivot and learn to code. And as I'm sure people can expect listening today, you were recently hired as a professional developer. So can you talk to us a bit about why you wanted to switch career and learn to code? I really enjoy the logical aspect of coding. And I think maybe that's something that I I always thought was true, you know, that you had to be quite logical to be able to problem solve and program something. But I think maybe the thing I didn't realize that I would love so much about it is the creative aspect of it. You're really building something, you're making something out of nothing. And that really appeals to me. And it's maybe something that I miss in medicine because in medicine, you don't really make anything day to day. You know, you're solving problems, but you're not creating anything from scratch. That's probably one of the things about coding that I find so rewarding. And I think. Many people will probably think like, are you insane? You spent such a long time, you know, so much invested into a medical career. It might have crossed my mind. Yeah, I think most, and to be honest, me too, it was a big thing that I had to get over uh, for myself because you feel the sunk cost, right? You've spent such a long time and so much just effort into this degree and career. But I think I now see it more as like a, a lateral move rather than wasting anything. But I'm just building on what I already have learned and have you know gotten out of all the effort that I've put in. Because there's a lot of skills that you develop as a doctor or in medicine or whatever path you choose really that you can like move over to your new career. I think if you see it that way, then you maybe see it as less of a waste and more of just, uh, you know, this is what I've done for the past decade. And now I'm moving on to something else and I can take everything that I've learned with me to make me be, you know, as good as I can be at this next thing. Are there any things in particular that stand out to you as you learning as a doctor that are also relevant to your work as a developer? You definitely learn how to learn when you have to learn so much and for so long. So you know like how you learn best and even what which hours of the day are best at learning at, stuff like that. Just little things that help you in your learning journey, I guess. Yeah, like you learn how you specifically learn, right? Yes, like I know I'm best in the morning and from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. I'm basically useless at taking anything in. <laughs> and yeah, I definitely learn better with like visual aids. So like videos are great because I like seeing things. Um, And then other skills, definitely, you know, communication, just working with people, problem solving. That's a big uh, skill that being a doctor has helped me cultivate. And that's definitely helpful. Is there anything like what you see on TV with like, uh, you ever see that show House where every time someone comes into the hospital with like a mystery medical problem and 
they have to kind of problem solve and diagnose it. Is that is that kind of like what you're describing? Uh, it's definitely not as interesting every time. You know, there's lots of things that are just um, barn door. Like you don't have to do any head scratching. I'm sure there are some specialties where the doctors are always solving, you know, maybe infectious diseases or something like that. <laughs> always solving really um, complicated puzzles. But no, it's not. It's not always like that. It's definitely not as glamorous as uh, TV makes it out to be. Now you're a professional coder as well. That's the never category of television you can't watch anymore because coding and hacking and stuff on TV, it's all dramatized as well, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I have to buy myself a hoodie, right? Because they all sit in a dark room. And- <laughs> exactly. Mr. Robot style. I like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I learned to code by watching YouTube videos originally. And I loved them because they were free. They were visual, like you say. I also just found them interesting. Like to copy the code over and see the result, I found that really rewarding. But sometimes YouTube videos don't exactly make you a professional developer. And what I mean by that is that they're quite unstructured compared to, say, university or something like that, or even, you know, the structure of a book with chapters or a full blown course or whatever, or a boot camp. So I'm curious how you got on with YouTube, if it's something you stuck at for the whole duration of learning to code, or if maybe you started using other resources to help give a framework to your learning. Yeah, um, YouTube was great for the initial introduction to, you know, what is coding? What is JavaScript? That kind of thing. But then I think I agree that it's very unstructured. And um, I then looked at Udemy and I did Code Steals, I think, web development bootcamp on Udemy. And that was really helpful. And I think that was probably my main resource whenever I um, was building the app for work. And then I discovered Scrimba after that. And I really liked Scrimba because it allowed me to like code along. You know, you can pause the screen. That that was just amazing because you can like actually type the code onto the, into the video, which was definitely helpful for me. Those were my main resources from the self-teaching point of view. But then, so I had my second child almost a year and a half ago. And then I didn't touch code for about six months after that. But I knew from building, you know, the web app and several other smaller projects that I was really interested in it and I wanted to keep learning and even possibly consider a career transition. So I wanted to get back up to speed quite quickly because after six months of not coding, I felt like I was really de-skilling quite a bit. And I'd been doing kind of self-paced learning an hour a day I did 100 days of code, the Twitter hashtag, which helped. You completed all 100 days. I did. I did 100 days. Amazing. That was with Scrimba. I did Bob's React course on Scrimba for that, which was great. But I felt like I wasn't really learning as much as I needed to, to get to the point where I could be applying for jobs. So that's when I decided to enroll in a boot camp to get a bit more structure and to have people alongside me, you know, in person to kind of hold me accountable and to learn with and to ask my questions to. Which boot camp did you enroll in? So I was in Singapore at the time and um, there are a few that they do out there, but the one that I chose was Le Wagon's boot camp. Um, I think they're a French company, but they have um, branches internationally. I picked them because the reviews were good. It was a nine-week course, which suited kind of my time commitments. And yeah, it seemed like a good way to just get back 
up to speed and learn a bit quicker. So yeah, I did that for nine weeks, only made possible really because I was living with my parents in Singapore for the year and they could look after the kids for me because <laughs> otherwise there was no way I would have been able to do it here in the UK without family around to help with the childcare. So that was a really good experience for me. There was um, a lot of content squeezed into a short period of time, but I learned well like in person with, I guess, quite an interactive form of learning. And we got to do a final project at the end, which was also great. We worked together in teams of four and it wasn't just about the coding anymore. It was also learning things like, you know, how to use Git and GitHub and pull requests and working on different branches. Yeah, things like that, which you maybe it's a bit more difficult to learn that online by yourself. I think so too. I think that's such a valuable experience to have. And to your point about the bootcamp, I feel like maybe it gives you a certain structure, especially if you have kids as well. Uh, Self-teaching, I'm sure it was possible for you. I mean, it sounds like you really understand how you learn and you knew all these resources like YouTube and Scrimber and uh, don't like to say it out loud, but you to me, I guess. But you felt like you would benefit from both the in-person aspect of it and the structure that it gives you. Definitely. With my kids at home, I was really only able to do like an hour or maximum two hours a day while my baby napped. But uh, I think you definitely compound your learning. Well, for me anyway, I compound my learning a lot faster if I do, you know, at least maybe three or four hours a day. Do you mind if I ask? Because a bootcamp can be quite expensive. Did you feel confident about the return on investment going into it? Or did you feel like you were sort of taking a chance based on your best knowledge at the time? It was definitely taking a chance in some regard. I will say that I was lucky in that the Singapore government is very helpful and they give out grants for citizens who are trying to upskill, especially in tech. So you could come to the UK and work as a developer. Yeah, and well, <laughs> they kind of hope that you'll stay, but not everyone does, I guess. I'm just teasing. They are very helpful in that sense. So I, I was really lucky in that I got a subsidy. I know that it's it's not possible for everyone to, to do a boot camp because it can be very pricey. But yes, I guess it was just the best guess at the time. I think... By then, I knew that it was something that I couldn't not pursue um, because I would always wonder what if I didn't like investigate it a bit more as a potential career. So I think I just kind of made peace with that. And, you know, if it didn't work out, then that's fine. But I just had to take the chance. Why was it so important for you to give it a go? Job satisfaction is huge to me. And I think especially after I had my kids, I feel like I need to have really good reason to be away from them and enjoying my job is something that I really, really want. And don't get me wrong, like medicine has been a great career, but I think there are also things about it that maybe frustrate me a little bit. Like tech is not really adopted very quickly in the NHS uh, for various reasons. I think I was getting a little bit frustrated because of that. You know, the fact that I went ahead and learned how to code to build a solution to a problem at work was probably a reflection of that frustration. And I felt like it was something that I should look further into because I really found this kind of joy in building and 
coding that maybe I hadn't felt in a while. I think it's courageous actually to make that shift because even though it sounds like you had a great perspective and you saw it as a lateral move, it is still kind of like daunting, I think, to start something from scratch like that. Thank you for saying that because uh, yeah, it is daunting. I haven't started my new job yet, so I am still, you know, like nervous, excited, nervous, but like, you know, still a little bit nervous. Like, oh no, what if I'm not any good at this? You know, <laughs> have I like made a silly move? But I think... I know that it's something I want to try. Well, I'm really curious to learn a bit more about the role and the specific opportunity. But how about we choose now as a good moment to do a round of quickfire questions? Okay. <laughs> okay, so what is one learning resource that has been the most impactful on your journey learning to code so far? Oh yeah, I mean, I'm not just saying this because I'm on the podcast, but like Scrimba has been huge for me. What about your favorite technology to use at the moment? Probably JavaScript. It's my favorite language. Nice. And is there like a programming language or technology you've got your eye on to learn next? I want to get better at React and React Native in particular. My new job is actually going to be on the mobile development team. So I need to learn React Native. <laughs> yeah, I think you'll get plenty of opportunity to do that. That's really cool. Okay, what music do you like to code to? All kinds, but if I'm really trying to focus, then I try and listen to something without lyrics. So yeah, lo-fi or sometimes even classical music. Did you listen to lo-fi as a doctor or did you only discover it when you started boot camps and coding and stuff? Oh, definitely only when I uh, started coding. Yeah, yeah. I keep hearing that. Like, it seems like our secret shared genre that uh, people haven't heard of. <laughs> That's wild. Yes, I've now introduced it to my husband. He's not, you know, in tech or anything. He's, he's medical as well. But uh, we play it to our kids now as well. There's like lo-fi Disney. <laughs> oh, that sounds class. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. You should check it out. By the way, Shona, is there someone you look up to or follow in the tech community maybe you subscribe to them on youtube or follow them on twitter or something that we should know about and maybe check out after the show there's probably no one that you don't already know about but i really love um kevin powell's like css stuff on youtube i think it's amazing and his podcast episode's really good as well on swimba and one last quick fire question for you do you prefer tea or coffee mm, coffee hell yeah me too. I think turning coffee into code is a, is a common pastime for Scrimba podcast <laughs> guests. By the way, I was also curious when you said about coding to music, I wondered if you like when you're a doctor, if you would like play music in the surgery or like while you were studying and stuff like that. Yeah, I do. I love playing music in theater. If um, the surgeon doesn't have like their own preference, then sometimes I ask if I can play my own music, especially if the patients are not under a general anesthetic. So my favorite place to play is actually in the maternity unit when ladies are having their cesarean sex. I have a dedicated cesarean section playlist for all the mums to, you know, the mums to be. And it's like very calming. I try and time it with the delivery of the baby. You know, the Lion King circle of life. Oh my God. They must be so lucky to have you in the room. That sounds like one hell of an experience. I mean, having your child, you know, like pulled out at the, ah! I mean, what else could you want? <laughs> All right. So one thing I noticed about your new role, and hopefully you can tell us a bit about it. But one thing that really stood out to me is that I think it's a job at like a health tech startup, right? Or a health tech company. So there's clearly some some alignment there with your with your previous career. What's the company all about and uh, what will you be doing there? The company that I'm going to work for, they basically help make healthcare professionals' lives easier by making it easier to access 
medical information through their platform. So the medical information can range from anything to, like I did for the app that I built, local guidelines, national guidelines. They also have medical calculators on their platform. It's also now a platform for teams to communicate with each other. The roster can be hosted on it as well, I believe. It's just a one-stop shop to help streamline all these processes that can take quite a long time if if you're you're using conventional methods which are usually like the hospital intranet sounds like the tech you wanted to have while you were working in the hospital exactly yes so there's huge alignment and so i'm really excited to work for them because i feel like there's very much an alignment in our like missions and as a doctor i can totally empathize with the user because that was me i faced all the frustrations that users face in their day-to-day job that's very very cool and it's a good little bit of context to have let's rewind just a moment and talk a little bit about how you found the opportunity I mean, it's a classic thing, right? When you're learning to code, it's not exactly obvious when you should stop studying full time and start thinking about how to present your skills and apply for jobs. I guess in uni, when you graduate is kind of your sign uh, when you're teaching yourself or even doing a bootcamp to some extent, I guess graduating the bootcamp could be a good sign as well. Yeah, you kind of need to take that plunge at some point. So maybe talk to me a little bit about when you felt ready to apply for jobs and what your strategy looked like. So I started applying about two weeks after I finished the boot camp because I felt that I had the most like momentum at that stage and everything was still really fresh in my mind. And I'd done that final project, which I was proud of. And I felt, you know, that would going forward, that project and the the web app that I built for work, those are my two sort of main projects that I felt happy enough to showcase. This uh, final bootcamp project, was it Soundstate? Yeah, that's the one. Oh, I wish we had more time to go in depth about it. But what I'll say during the interview is that we'll be linking uh, the project page in your portfolio in the description if you're listening just go in there with like no expectation like i won't tell you much about it except i think you're really gonna like what you find it's a it's a super cool project and i think what i'm hearing from you Shona, is that once you pulled that off uh, you were feeling confident to start applying for jobs how did you go about finding those jobs so i mainly tried linkedin this whole job hunting thing was obviously very new to me in medicine you're just kind of pushed along i had to revamp my cv because it was like 10 pages long and full of stuff that no one in tech would really care about do doctors use linkedin in general or was that new to you as well no i it was completely new i didn't have a linkedin account so i gave myself a week to just do that stuff you know linkedin get some kind of portfolio site together and also to change my cv and once i'd done that then i started applying on LinkedIn. I just searched for jobs in the UK and cold applied to those. I did a lot of LinkedIn easy apply initially, but that was extremely low yield. So um, gave up on that after a while. And then I think I applied to about 50 jobs probably. And I interviewed with two companies other than the one that I eventually got hired at. Yeah, it took me, so I started applying in April and I got an offer in August. So what's that, like four months? But it was pretty demoralizing at at points, to be honest, because a lot of them don't get back to you. And the interviews can be quite long processes. Yeah, like if it's like a multiple stage interview process and you get to the end and you don't get the offer, that can be like super tiring. Yeah, it is. 
for the company that eventually hired me, it wasn't a job posting or anything. I actually reached out to them because after, you know, having a few unsuccessful interviews and not really getting that many responses from the cold applications, I decided to sort of change strategy a bit and um, leverage my medical network and knowledge, I guess. And so I reached out to a company that I knew of in Belfast and uh, they weren't hiring at the time. But um, I think because of my background and my projects, they were willing to like chat to me. And yeah, one thing sort of led to another. And um, they ended up offering me a job, which was amazing. And yeah, I was really relieved and really excited. What did you write in that kind of cold approach? I just messaged their CEO and just said, you know, this is my background and this is a project that I've done. I'd really love to chat to you. I know you guys aren't hiring, but I genuinely at that point just wanted to hear about his story because he was also a doctor and he became an engineer because he built a very similar thing for his department when he was working as a doctor, but then he took it big and like scaled it and is now an entrepreneur. But I was just really curious to hear about his story because there aren't that many doctor turned engineers that I know of anyway. So um, I felt like it was nice to find someone who was kind of on the same page, I guess. He was very nice and replied and said, yes, let's have a chat. And then sort of during that chat um, said that we're, you know, we're not hiring, but we'd be happy to, to find out more about you and possibly make a space for you, which was music to my ears. Yeah. I was like, wow, I would love to work for your company because yeah, you guys, have done such a great job with making doctors lives easier that's how you do it right there there are many ways to get a job in tech but i feel like when you have that relationship to the problem that the company's trying to solve like you can empathize with it in some way you actually would be like a user of the product or maybe you just think it's incredibly cool it might not be specifically to do with a past career or hobby or something you just see it and you're like wow this is like you genuinely care about it you know i think a lot of the time companies would like to work with someone who genuinely cares about the product and its success even if they might not be the most experienced engineer so yeah i mean it's not a huge leap i don't feel like for them to want to explore an opportunity to get you on board i bet they love the idea of like a doctor who switched to engineering like i bet that's just perfect yeah it's a good fit both ways did you do a kind of technical interview and if so how did that go i did not for this job but for the interviews that i told you about wait a second shona this new company they hired you about a technical interview they looked at my github and they looked at my projects and um maybe that's why i got the job no i'm just kidding no 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 no. we're not going down that path for one second i think the point i'm kind of getting at really is that oftentimes in a technical interview they're trying to assess your technical ability but it's also quite a contrived environment you're working on like a super isolated problem and you have the added pressure of it being an interview but to then sort of look at the code you've published and it's really obvious it's your code right they can make a judgment based on your skill level and, and things like that i wondered because i i know that you put a lot of effort into your portfolio which is really beautiful by the way and your projects which you feature on the portfolio they're quite polished right including the dosing application and your boot camp final project which uh I teased a little bit earlier, people can check it out. I'm just wondering, do you think that that was the right investment to spend time building unique projects that honestly, they feel kind of production ready, you know, like they're not half finished or something. 
those apps actually look like they're useful and uh, could be used by someone today. Yeah, I'm happy that I did it the way I did it because I think building stuff that I felt would be useful was a big motivating factor in finishing them. I mean, bootcamp, I guess we had to finish it, obviously, for the demo day. But um, I really loved making that one because it was you know, it revolves around music and I really love listening to music. And so that was really fun to build. And then the one I built for work was really just very practical, but I tried to make it look nice and, you know, be user-friendly and stuff like that. So that really helped um, focus my learning. Cause I think when you're learning on your own, you can really be a bit overwhelmed by the amount of stuff there is to learn. But if you have a purpose in mind, then it, it helped me to, yeah, just focus my, my efforts a bit more. We're almost out of time, unfortunately. I've been having a great time learning about your story. And I know that this episode is full of value for people listening along. I just wanted to ask in closing, really, if there was any sort of advice that you could share that you wish you had at the beginning of your journey, this crazy journey, right? From doctor to developer, teaching yourself to code, going on LinkedIn for the first time, having to kind of prove your skills in this new industry. Is there anything, if you were to go back to the beginning, you would tell yourself? Maybe I would have spoken to people in my network a little earlier. So I think I would have not been so focused on just applying for jobs on a, you know, like a job application platform. Maybe I would have, yeah, started those conversations a little earlier because eventually I suppose that's the way in which I eventually got a successful job offer. But perhaps maybe start the conversations with, with people that you know a bit earlier. And it can be anyone, it could just be like friends, family, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be someone in tech, but someone might know someone. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of people who have gotten a job this way through, you know, like a first degree connection kind of thing. So yeah, that would be my advice to myself if I had to do it again. When you wrote in Discord about your new job, uh, you mentioned the Scrimba podcast and that you like listened to a couple of episodes. This is, you know, the very end of the interview. I can indulge a little bit, I suppose, and, and just ask out of curiosity if there was any sort of advice in particular that you found helpful or managed to apply. Oh, there's loads of good nuggets of advice from the Scrimba podcast. So like the LinkedIn stuff really helped me because I, as a doctor, you just don't have LinkedIn and Stephanie's episode about LinkedIn was really helpful for me. Stephanie Chu, I think, right? Yes, that's right. Stephanie Chu. You know, all the guests, they all have like amazing stories of success. And I think a big factor in my eventually getting a job was listening to people's success stories a lot, because I think if you want to do something and succeed at something that's like maybe a bit challenging, it really helps to just basically psych yourself um, and just listen to other people's success stories and make yourself believe that like you can do it too. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. That's why we're here. Yeah. So it was incredibly helpful for me just hearing everyone's like different backgrounds and it's so diverse. Um, the, the guests that are on the podcast, I think is a real gem. So great job, Alex and Jan. Thank you. We've done 132 episodes that are live right now, something like that. And across that time, there have been three doctors who became developers. And you're the third, by the way. The first doctor turned developer was... Jefferson Tang. I interviewed him in 2022, back in April. And uh, I also more recently spoke with Vanessa, who was just like a really inspiring character from SF, who was a doctor and switched to coding. 
And, and now, of course, we've got another fantastic interview under our belt uh, today with another doctor turned developer. I was just wondering, did you like hear those specific episodes by chance? And did it give you some more confidence that you could make the transition as well? I must confess, I didn't listen to Vanessa's one. I think I missed hers. But um, I did listen to Jefferson. And yes, it was nice to know that there were fellow medics out there who have made the transition and haven't let the sunk cost problem get in the way. So yeah, it's nice to know that there are similar similar folk out there. Super inspiring. And I, I really appreciate you reiterating that point about the sunken cost thing, because of all the kind of industries I can think of and all the careers you can take, one of the industries or careers that takes the most training and time is becoming a doctor. So basically, no matter what you've been doing in the past, for however long, you can still make the shift to coding if it's something you really want to do. Actually, the thing that helped me most about the sunk cost fallacy was that you have to consider the cost of not making a change as well. Yes, if that cost outweighs your sunk cost, then you should make a change. Oh, that, that hits hard. That's a great point. That really helped me get my head around it. And I was like, yes, I see the cost if I don't make this change. So I'm going to do it. <laughs> Jonah, I appreciate that so much. And I appreciate you coming on the podcast as well. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. That was the Scramble Podcast, episode 134. If you made it this far, subscribe. We are a weekly show, which means there's going to be a new episode coming your way next Tuesday. If you're just discovering the show, there is more than 130 great episodes for you in our backlog. Make sure to check out the show notes for all the resources from this episode and the ways to connect with Shona. Don't forget to check out her portfolio projects because they're really cool. The show is hosted by Alex Booker and I've been Jan the Producer. You can find both of our Twitter handles in the show notes as well. And we'll be back next week. Oh, it's so bad, you know, because when you said about playing music in the maternity ward, I started thinking of uh, Salt and Pepper, where he's like, ah, push it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. I should add that one to the playlist. Yeah. No, 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 yeah. no, no. I don't think they would like that very much, actually. No, probably not.